And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 262 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. We are recording earlier than normal, so expect us to be dumb. <laughs> Somehow you're saying that as like opposed to other times, yeah. Er, dumb, er. There we go, now we're talking. How are you doing, Brian? Uh, I'm doing okay. I got my, uh, got my second shot on Friday and felt very, very tired and weak yesterday, but I'm feeling good this morning. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some comics. Let's do that. First up, from Boom, Eve number one, written by Victor Laval, art by Jomi Young, colors by Brittany Peer, and letters by Andworld Design. What did you think of this, Brian? Oh, I really like this. I kind of, I like that, um, I don't even want to call it a misdirection, because I don't think it was that um just the the choice of how to open this yeah so this is about a young girl named eve yes who we are introduced to uh sort of exploring this forest rainforest area like doing some chores for her dad outside but also like narrating the actions of crabs evading the rising tides and things like that <laughs> and very quickly we see she's in some sort of like bunker research station when she gets home right. and uh we get this sort of goodbye from her father and she climbs into what looks like some sort of cryogenic pot or we see one and it's presumed she climbs into it and then she wakes up and it's some amount of time after the world has been destroyed she yes. is greeted by a robot wearing the skin of her favorite teddy bear yeah. And has been tasked with uh, saving the world, basically? Yeah, like, not even, like, just straight up, like, as far as we know, she's the literally the only person left, and all of the, uh, what she had been experiencing when this, when the story opened, while she was still in the pod, was all, like, training experiences like the things that she's going to need to know to take care of her task right yeah this was super super cool i thought i did too uh i really love the style in this book yeah so i'll be if you had just told me and this was a little bit i'll be honest i was a little bit like meh when i first heard this concept just because the whole concept of oh it's one person that's the only person alive and they have a little robot companion to save the world i'm like i have heard this so many times right this is real good <laughs> did you did you read the the letter from victor laval in the back uh i think so hang on let me look uh so, yes i did the one about the climate yeah stuff. yeah in it he talks about the fact that his wife whose name is emily rabuteau 
is a climate writer. She didn't start out as one. Her first book was fiction. Her second was nonfiction about travel. And from there, she kind of got more and more into environmental issues after their first child was born. Yes. And he talks about the way that he also has come, you know, also came to be focused on these issues, having a child, thinking about how, what the world they've been brought into will be for them. And realized, well, you know, he can't match the work she and some other other nonfiction writers who he is named in here have done. He That's not his skill set. But he can write fiction about this. So he wanted to imagine this kind of spunky but not fearless kid trying to save this world and sort of the imagination of children and saving the world. Well, uh, yeah, and he mentions that, like, I don't think he uses these words, but it's totally the image of the pot. She is not, like, a chosen one. She's not the one who has been, like, super highly trained, you know, like, she's not a trained assassin who has the special skill set or, you know, like, has this commando who can now go out and save the world. She's, like, she's just an 11-year-old kid. Yeah, and she's she's not fearless, but she recognizes there's sort of a framing conversation about these crabs that climb trees to evade water because predators will eat them. And like that very much is sort of her approach, right? Yeah. She's going to do what she has to do because otherwise she'll die. That doesn't make her fearless. It just means her goal is survival. Right. Yeah. It's like I do it because there's no other choice. Yeah. Right. So I really love this character, Eve. I do not trust this teddy bear robot, which is not necessarily a phrase I've ever said out loud before. I had a... I mean, I mean have you ever seen a Teddy Ruxpin? Let's be real. Um, I did not have a Teddy Ruxpin. I had a Casey Bear phone. I mean, it ain't just in none of those bears. Come on. Uh, for those of you not familiar, a Casey Bear phone looks like a teddy bear but if you open the vest on it, there is a touch-tone keypad, and if you plug it into a phone line, its eyes and mouth will move in sync with whoever on the line is talking because it is a telephone. I don't know why or how my parents came to possess this. It was, in the 80s, adorable, and now probably would be truly terrifying. Please, please tell me someone somewhere did like a B-grade horror movie involving this thing. I mean, I can't imagine they haven't. I mean, come on. Like, that's just like, like, I'm not a creative type. And that just was like, that's immediately where I went. <laughs> like, this thing is just a step left of Five Nights at Freddy's. So Exactly. Uh, we have digressed. Yes. <laughs> we should move along because we need to uh, wrap this up. Today. Yes. Very, very much enjoy this. Wonderful first issue. Yes. Fantastic. Strongly recommend it. This is a five-issue miniseries, so... Not a long-term commitment. Correct. The Last Witch, number five of five. Yeah, so sort speaking of, of a five-issue series. Uh, and it says five of five, 100% there's going to be more of these. Cool. Um, because it, it, this story is just not done. Well, and Flat you're out. okay with that, I'm guessing. I am. I'm not just okay with that. I'm very, very pleased with that. Good. Um, yeah, no, I, I love this. Last issue, we got a new character introduced, and we learned a bit more about uh, what their kind of role or what some people in the group think their role is. Um, and, yeah, like, I, just the the 
specifically three of these characters they have introduced Cherise, her brother and uh and this new character uh hugh are they're just i i just love their vibe and how they how they work together i love everything about this 100 percent recommend that means trade will be out soon pick it up read it cool we should mention of course this was written by connor mccreary Art by V.V. Glass, colors by Natalia Nestorenko, letters by Jim Campbell, and design by Grace Park. I get so excited, I just skip right over that. <laughs> That's cool. That's what I'm here for. I know. Anything else before we move on to the next book? Uh, no. No. We're good. Read All it. right. Wind, number six of five. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you may remember Wind from last year. Uh, the book originally announced as an OGN that James Tynan and company decided, let's go ahead, split it up, release it as single issues since we were recovering from that diamond shipping hiatus. It is back for its second volume. Once again, it is being released in single issues ahead of the trade. Uh, James Tynan IV did write it. Art and colors are, Michael, are by Michael Dialinus. And letters are by Andworld Design. So, Wind and Friends had hit the high seas, and they're still there, getting ready to meet the prince's cousin. But we also get some uh, political developments back in the city. Yeah. And that is the king aligning with the vampires to stop Wind and the prince from getting to uh, the prince's uncle who is yeah. leading I gotta the, say, the like, push against coming yeah coming back as a first issue in the second arc i really loved that this absolutely moved the story forward mm -hmm. but it did it at a pace that it was uh, that it was very very easy to use this to also remember exactly where we were yes that was the like possibly like in the best way i've ever read yeah no it's a super smart like volume two issue one Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also get introduced to another character in a flashback who I think is, uh, I think by the end of this issue, we have already seen in the present, if I had to guess. Um, and now I'm super curious who you're thinking of here. Uh, I think that one of the characters who we see in jail is this character we meet in the flashback, the one laying on the cot. Oh, y yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I just kind of assumed we were supposed to know that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's played... I think it's played to let us figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 All right. But we're not again. told explicitly, either. Yeah, we are not. We are not. You're right. Uh, again, fantastic book. Yeah. Love this. I'm debating whether or not to make a political commentary, and I'm going to pass on it. I'm going to pass on it, and we're going to move on, unless I, you have anything else to I say. I do like another new character we were introduced to, which is Teak, though. Yes, Teak is great. They're fantastic. Teak is good. Uh, definitely check this out. It is out in both paperback and hardcover, the first volume. Um, I may have foisted it upon Meg yesterday. Oh, perfect. Yes. Another James Tynan IV comic. Batman number 108. We have our main feature, The Cowardly Lot, with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomeo More, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Brian? Yes. Which dark god do you think James Tynan has sworn himself to? In order to be able to, it feels like, introduce an amazing new character every other issue of this book. Uh, I, I don't know. But I wholeheartedly support his deal. 
Because <laughs> because he's definitely getting the better end of it right now. Holy cow! Yeah. Uh. So this issue is our introduction to Miracle Molly, who. I feel like we, I at least went into this expecting this sort of like, I don't know, anarcho-punk trickster kind of character. Like yeah, very almost, much, almost very much like a manipulator. A, almost like a young, uh, young, obviously much brighter colored, like Manchester Black, like just fuck everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what we get in oh, this character. Like, and, it's almost the opposite. I, Brian, do you also feel like she's being honest here? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's, like, that's the remarkable thing. Like, it would be, I think, I feel like it's harder to write this character earnestly yeah. than it is to make it seem like she has an ulterior motive. And I don't see the ulterior motive. I, I well, like, because you, all of the places where, you would start to feel that way, right? Uh-huh. She totally subverts what you're thinking by just telling you what you're concerned about. Yeah. Like, yeah. her entire... So, okay, Bruce Batman has, as Match, tried to infiltrate the, the Unsanity Collective. Yeah. And basically, immediately they realize he's in costume. They assume he's a cop. And Molly's like, no, don't kill him. We have a mission here, and we have to offer it to anyone who walks in the door. I'll take him. Don't worry. Yeah. And she gives him the tour, and she's like, okay, ditch the costume. A mask is more honest than a costume. So she throws him a rag. He ties it on. And she Looks starts... very Daredevil. Yeah. yeah. Old, <laughs> really. old style Daredevil. Yeah. She starts to give him the tour and explain everything. And basically the ethos says, look, this city is not doing good for everyone. We want to break out of sort of the, the this is how the system has to work binary. It's working or it's not. And find a new way to do things. Right. Uh, and like hops on this, this green goblin glider with, <laughs> with Batman and like gives him the tour and shows him the sort of temporary encampments they have. And they have all these conversations. And like at one point she acknowledges, yeah, by the way, I, I know you're Batman. You don't have to pretend not to be. Yeah. I've known this whole time. It's cool. Like, what more do you want to know? I will tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to, like, break into our computers or anything. Just ask and I'll tell you. Yeah. And uh, she's just incredible. And I think it helps that, like, the things she says are wholly valid points. Like, they are real-world criticisms of our own systems and institutions right now. Oh, sure, sure. Like, well, and like, so one of the things is like, kind of early on when she's talking, she's like, you know, yeah, right after she gives him the mask, she's like, yeah, and ditch the mustache, because that's clearly fake. Everybody knows it now. She's like, now, just tell me the truth. Why are you here? Yeah. And Batman makes the the, the right choice to tell her the truth. I want to understand who you people are. And she's like, okay, yeah, I can work with that. Come on. Yeah. I'll tell you. Like, like uh, uh, okay, <laughs> it's so not what you expect from, yeah, from and the it's, character. It's like the least Batman setup, too, right? Like, okay, everyone is fully on the level and telling the truth the whole <laughs> yeah, time. You're right. Like, I don't know if Batman has how to deal with someone like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, in a different time in Gotham, she could be, like, Harper Rowe. She's got a lot in common with Harper Rowe. She does, you know what? The, you know, uh, this just occurred to me, is 
this would feel totally natural in with with some writers in some Superman story. Yeah, this character, right? Who is an honest, like just putting it on the line, and Superman totally respects that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very odd in a Batman story. But I, it's such a breath of fresh air. I love oh, it. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love this. Uh, what I don't love is finding out who Peacekeeper 1 is. I have wanted to know, since we first heard about the Peacekeepers, who, who 1 is. Yeah. It makes total sense at this point. It makes I don't like total it. sense. I like it and I hate it at the same exactly. time. Exactly. Right? Yeah, like, it's, it's that very... It's a perfect choice narratively, yeah. right? But it's a heartbreaking choice narratively. It is. It is. Um, yep. Like it's good a good story, bad, just bad. <laughs> uh, also, I I, I do want to. Jorge Jimenez is always fantastic on this book, but I I, I really want to shout out to Mayu More and the coloring in this issue. Just some of these cityscapes are absolutely fantastic. And and if all of this wasn't enough, like, how can you not instantly fall in love with Squeak? Right. <laughs> uh, we also have the second chapter of Ghostmaker. It's very much picking up the story from the last one, this time focusing on, on Kid Kawaii's history with Ghostmaker. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Same creative team, except swap out Ricardo Lopez Ortiz on art. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to point out real quick, because I think I think it is important to know this, is one of the things that she reveals is the people who join the Unsanity Collective, like, have their memories erased from, so they don't know who they were oh, before. Yeah. Um, and he's like, aren't you curious? Don't you want to know? And she's like, no, I don't. Like, I've seen a picture of uh, of me during the transformation, and that person that I saw was clearly not a happy person. Yeah, like and did not was not able to enjoy life. So no, I am completely the person I want to be right now, and that's it. The other thing I thought was super unusual is she makes some sort of comment about how uh, you you shouldn't pursue happiness, right? Like you can't try to be happy because people aren't going to be happy. Life doesn't let you be happy all the time. So just be ready, and when those things occur, enjoy the happiness that you have then. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. No day but today. What a, what a, like, healthy mental <laughs> attitude towards, yeah, wow. Anyway, love this character. Amazing. Yes. Moving on, Green Lantern number two. Written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Dexter Soy and Marco Santucci, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Rob Lee. God, it's it's almost like we just pick, pick really good books to talk about. <sighs> I mean, DC's knocking it out of the park right now. That that doesn't hurt, right? No, it doesn't. This, like, I really dug the first issue, but mm -hmm. this issue very much tells us what this book is going to be going yes. forward. Sort of. And then on the last page gives us the twist, which if you read Future State, if you've been listening along with us, like, you know, we've expected this moment. I did not expect it this soon. I was going to say, but it happened way faster than I thought it was yeah. going to. Future State, you know, like two issues from now. 
Yeah. Um, uh, which I have a question. We're going to talk about at the end. Yeah. Um, so th- this starts out with at the end of the last issue, a guardian was killed. Yes. And we talk about that, you know, one of the, his sister talks about how, you know, matter isn't created or destroyed. It just changes form. And especially for the guardians, they recognize this and all this stuff. Great. Okay. All that. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it immediately, immediately goes into the fact that they re- the Guardians reveal, now that we're a member of the United Planet, things have to change. Yes. Uh, we're getting rid of 1,200 sectors. Yeah, that's a third. A third of, yep. And uh, that's going to fall under the jurisdiction of the uh, United Federation now. Yeah. Security forces. Uh, oh, 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 everybody's like, oh, okay. Like the first immediate thought is what the hell happens to those twelve hundred Green Lanterns, and we immediately start finding out. <laughs> yeah, they get reassigned to different positions. Yeah, uh, some are assigned to Crux Worlds, which right. we learn about and get some interesting, uh, like heads up for the future of reality. Uh, some are assigned to Quest, and we find out a little later what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, others, some are assigned as Outriders. Yeah, who are essentially uh, contract detail to the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, kind of go where they're assigned. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think, was Guy Gardner one of the ones assigned? Uh, He is an outrider, I believe. Okay. Um, I really like this this status quo change. I like seeing... I, I like I seeing it, them I, move. I think the Green Lantern Corps needed some massive shakeup. I will say that. It did. Like, the, the sort of space cop thing, I mean, yeah. especially in present day, feels difficult to thread a needle on. Yeah. But just in general, like, we're seeing a lot of changes to sort of lore and status quo, and I think that we really need that. I mean, the the the... the Jeff John's rebirth stuff from years ago has been kind of where all of this has sat for what 20 years now. Yeah. And it it needs I think a breath of fresh air and I think this is that. We get do you want to talk about the moment at the end? Do you want to talk about uh, kind of the hook I, I going do. forward? I do. Um there's, there's a couple of other super quick okay. things. Uh one is uh, I, I was I was a little like somebody should have read back through this just because the wording of it like literally like two pages before we get the whole um there are no you know these positions don't exist anymore there's no like leadership within the core all lanterns are the same uh-huh and then two pages later we get we get all these people quest 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 john stewart quest leader like eh. <laughs> um you so you just put him in charge no wait hold on <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> just it, it just came across as Probably should have reworded that somehow or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you've got a thousand lanterns on a mission, one of them does need to get to like drive. Oh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely, I don't disagree with that. But then you can't make the statement that there is nobody, you know, uh, yeah. it, uh, above any of the other. It's like well, it's it's a flat realistic. It's a flat hierarchy, except when it's not. Except when it's not right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Then we then we get what happens at the end, and oh shit! Yeah. So, if you're at Future State, you know the power battery goes dead in the future. Yeah. The future is now. Future is now. <laughs> uh, 
we saw in issue one people trying to take down the battery to free the sort of universal magic energies that the guardians had contained the battery explodes at the end of this issue yeah it's gone um interestingly enough like kelly sees that something is wrong with it before anyone else does i did notice that uh and kelly still has the ability to to use the gauntlet Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Joe show up responding to a call for aid and Joe does a scan with her ring and says no lanterns present yeah uh, so so two things about that one it doesn't say no guardians but they were clearly on OA and that makes me wonder if the guardians are pretty much gone now too yeah we we didn't really see anything about the guardians in future state Right. I know that we saw Guardians in Legion of Superheroes, but they were different. They weren't the same Guardians we've seen in present. So I definitely, I mean, (laughs) there are still a lot more questions than we have answers right now. Well, and then the last thing is, like, no Lantern's present because they're all dead. No, because... Kelly is Kelly is literally holding the body of Simon. So I get the, the no lanterns but i don't think it's because they're all dead okay i think it's just because with no battery Ah, there are no green lanterns got it that could vary that 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 seems like a good misdirect yeah yeah because and i think i think we are supposed to read it that way because joe hears there are no lanterns sees kelly's gauntlet functioning right scans again and is still told there are no lanterns right so i think that's just to reinforce that whatever her ring is whatever the gauntlet is these are not of the power battery these are separate from the core yep as to kelly holding the body of simon i read that as he is dying not he is dead because she's saying i was supposed to protect him i was supposed to watch him help me save him gotcha we'll see yeah. Uh, it was uh, very dramatic. I'll say that. It was. I will be. I will be mad if they kill off Simon. Yeah, Bass, that's. Uh, uh, yeah. And, be, and for the same reasons why I would be mad about it, I don't think it's likely. I don't think you're going to kill off the only Muslim lantern, right? right. Like yeah. you're not going to kill off yeah. the, a marginalized character Correct. in that way just to feed a story, right? Moving right along, Footloose and Fancy Free to Suicide Squad number three. (laughs) Written by Robbie Thompson, with pencils by Eduardo Pansica, inks by Julio Ferreira, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Wes Abbott. I gotta say, the only context I would think I would ever uh, hear Footloose and Suicide Squad in the same thing would be if, you know, literally someone cut someone's foot off and the foot was loose. That was... Yeah, well... I mean, that actually would make a lot more sense than what I just did, yeah? Yeah, but, you know, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, I, I think we get a lot of insight in this one. I think we do as well. Yeah. Um, we find out that Noctera is really a tool for Amanda Waller, right? Is that the character's name? Is the character's name Noctera? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or Nocturna. Maybe it's Nocturna. Nocturna. There it is. Nocturna. Yeah, I was like, no, not Tara. That so, doesn't sound right. Um, that's the, the Scott Snyder book. Yeah, that's the Scott Snyder book that we will talk about Yeah, later. But yes, yeah. Nocturna. Right, yes. Sorry. No, you're good. I just was like, are these the same? Nope. Conflation. There we go. <laughs> um, But we find out that uh, after 
what we discovered at the end of the last Teen Titans Academy book. Yep. Uh, that Amanda is not happy with Bolt and is sending the team after her. Right. Uh, I also want to say, like, Culebra throughout this is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I I love the snark she's willing to give Amanda. Yeah. Because... Like, you rarely get characters who will talk back to Amanda like that and just sort of... <laughs> not even... It's not a matter of, like, backing off or holding ground. It's just a... It's almost denialism, right? It, it's it just, is. This, this doesn't matter. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. She's going to blow me up eventually, so I might as well get my word in edgewise. Like, this is a perfect example of it, is Amanda says, Club, you're next. Don't worry. You're, the job is simple enough even for you to understand. I'm going to pretend that was sarcasm. And then Amanda just looks at her, and she's like, do you get paid by the Withering Glare? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. Favorite character in this book. Uh, right uh, I think so. I think so. Uh, very, very much enjoy this. Um, and then we see Connor is, uh, when I say Connor, Connor Kent, Superboy, is clearly there's some um, struggle going on with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and we, we start to get the questions of the, how did you recruit him? Yep. Yeah. Which do not receive answers. Correct. Uh, at least not yet. And then, um, so Bolt is able to get away from them and get back to Titans Academy. Yep. And uh, Peacemaker is, well, then we got to go after her. And they're like, no, Amanda said we can't do that. He was like, I don't care what Amanda said. We got to go get her. And then <laughs> proceeds to get his ass handed to him <laughs> by someone <laughs> off screen. And who says, you know, okay, if you're going to attack the Titans Academy, you need to listen to me. And then yeah. on the last page, we find out, of course, it is Red X. So let me ask you a question, Brian. Okay. After reading Teen Titans last week and this this week, uh -huh. do you feel like Red X is working both sides? Or do you think Red X is working one side and then pretending to help? the 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 other side whichever one it may be just to sort of play them um i think well so uh one of the things and i'll state this up front and then we'll talk about it in a minute is i think i now know who red x is okay um we will discuss that in a moment and i think red x is 100% trying to impose his, I, I don't it's going to sound sinister if I say it this way but maybe that's good because that's kind of the, what they're I think trying to do impose his own agenda on both of these okay um I 100% think like getting Connor out of Suicide Squad and getting Suicide Squad out from under the control of Amanda Waller is part of his plan all right I also think that he doesn't have faith that the, that that Dick and Donna and Corey and Cyborg and Gar can do what they want to accomplish with the Teen Titans Academy. Okay, interesting. I had not connected these dots. I I, I know what what next book we're talking about. Therefore, I know who you think Red X is. Do you now understand why I think that, though? I can see your thinking. I still have would not have made those connections on my own. I don't think you're wrong. I just yeah. think you're seeing something I'm not seeing yet. So, Which I, makes sense, because these are characters you know way better than yeah. I do. If you don't want to hear my 
assumption and i i mean i it's not really spoilers because i don't know this like I, don't, I haven't seen something that tells me this um but you know you're welcome to my speculation is that red x is roy harper so what made you think this um it was honestly it was read the next book we're going to talk about is infinite frontiers secret origins right secret files secret files i'm sorry secret files which is uh the whole this whole issue is about roy harper Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's back, a no, none of these people know that he's back. I think right. that's part. Uh, I think that was like a oh yeah, okay, that's a ne- that's a necessary thing if he's going to play this person. Yeah. Okay. Um, the second thing is clearly the, the the level at which Red X operates, like taking out Peacemaker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, able to evade Nightwing. Yeah, it's somebody with much more experience than one of the new kids at Titans Academy. Gotcha. I uh, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and the whole in Teen Titans Future State, right? Mm-hmm. Where they clearly know who Red X is. Yeah. Um, just the way that that is handled is it's clearly someone they all know and care about but feel they can't trust yeah roy would could very easily fit fit all of them yeah yeah i i it just like once i thought of it all of the pieces just fit well enough that i'm pretty sure that's what it is yeah i i don't think i would have seen to make that connection but the case you're building is very it makes a lot of sense yeah yeah uh which (laughs) Don't give I'm super excited. <laughs> I love this. I love this thought. Yeah. Well, and like Red Arrow, Red X. Yeah. Like there's there's even just a little bit of tease in that. Right. Well, and it's it, it almost also seems to be somebody who knows Red X's history, which yeah. would, you know, Roy Wood. Right. Right. So I like I said, I, I ooh, I got chills. Oh god, I love this. <laughs> and the fact that Suicide Squad is tying in with Teen Titans is like that, that just the better for both books. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Infinite Frontier Secret Files Chapter 2. This is written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Yanaki Miranda, colors by Nick Filardi, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, this is... I mean, this is the series MO. Each chapter yeah. is giving us kind of a, a, a moment to catch up with different characters who are going to be a part of the Infinite Frontier miniseries that runs... Does that start this month or next month? Uh, I think next, next month. Next month. June, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this one is Roy Harper. What is Roy doing since he came back to life and didn't give his friends a phone call? Uh, bar fighting, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Le- letting himself get the shit beat out of speaking, him? Speaking of nihilism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. 100% is uh, w- w- in this at a place where, you know, he's like, w- like, I almost get the question if he asked, he'd be like, why the hell am I back again? Yeah. Like, just end it. Just let this be done. I'm I'm so tired of all this. So he purposefully picks fights with people who... Uh, who will beat him up and possibly kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) what you can't get out of a hero, though, is 
the ability for to to that instinct to protect somebody else. Yeah. So right. so when this the moment yeah. the moment this person becomes a threat to someone else, he stops taking it. Yep. And takes this person down. Correct. Uh, and so yeah, there's this bartender who who steps out and she uh, she like hits the, the this guy that's beaten Roy up with a bat and uh, this guy turns on her and is clearly going to kill her and mm-hmm. Roy just stops him <laughs> uh, takes him out and then goes out and she says something about before you leave I just wanted to say thank you for saving me and he's like you know what I think you saved me and uh, I, like yeah I, I clearly Roy's I, like I don't think it's an accident that he ends up on a motorcycle riding on the road at the end of this because clearly he is on a journey of some sort at this point yeah yeah Yep. How about The Swamp Thing, number three? God, this book. <laughs> Written by Rom V, art by Mike Perkins, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. How do you make a book better than having a, 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 an ivy in it? Two. Two ivies. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, which like, is, I was like, surely if I set this softball up there, Alex will swim. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I took the bait. Yes. Um, which the thing I love about that, I guess we're going to jump right in with the fact that we have one, two, Ivy's stand before you. There you go. Um, remember the Harley Quinn Poison Ivy miniseries from a couple of years ago? I do. That introduced the like two Ivy split. And then just sort of left it dangling in a way. Like, we, we didn't really get closure on that anywhere, because that sort of, there was a lot of upheaval in D.C. and what was going on. Yes. And uh, uh, shortly thereafter came the hiatus and COVID and all of that. Like, this is really our first time picking up on that thread. And it's a really smart way, I think, to do that. Like, both of these entities exist in the green and in one way balance each other, but in the other way, like, the fact that they're split make them more erratic and hold them back. Yes. And it, like, becomes, it becomes, I think, a really clear sign that something is wrong with the green. Uh, which, I mean, we've seen the green go through enormous trauma and change in Justice League Dark. Sure. Right? Which Rom V helped write. We've seen, uh, uh... What was the the where was the one shot? Maybe it was an issue of Justice League Dark, where we saw Jason Woodrew kill the new avatar of the Parliament of Flowers and take that power for himself. Um, God, I don't remember what that was. Either. I think it was a Justice League Dark too. annual. I think it was too. Um, so like we've seen all this sort of 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 damage done to the green, and now we've got this green where. Our new Swamp Thing, Levy, he can morph back and forth, which is not something the Swamp Thing has ever been able to do. He accidentally pulls his friend into the green with him while they're running tests, which you don't, like they even acknowledge in this issue, people do not come into the green in this way. Right. You've got two Ivies kind of split one ruling over at least part of the green like there are territories in the green now and with this second ivy as sort of like companion feels like the wrong word but this sort of roommate almost yeah she can't quite shake 
And then the memory of Alec Holland is wandering around the green. Jason Woodrow is wandering around the green. Like, I don't think, I don't think in, since the Neo 52, we haven't seen the green as a place you can be, which it makes some sense now post uh, uh, death metal that we maybe see more of that idea come back. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely very different than like what you've seen in, I don't know if there's a run more recent than Brian K. Vaughn's that shows the green as a place, but it's definitely very different than the green in that. And it feels like it's fractured in a way because you have all of these people with connections to the green kind of like existing in it in their own territories. So, yeah, uh, I'm not sure exactly what to make of this yet. And that's this whole series has kind of been that way. Like, don't get me wrong. It's got a mystery vibe. It does. Don't get me wrong. I like it a lot. But, like, I'm just not sure exactly where it's going or what it means. Um, And that's okay. Um, I'll be when I first started reading this, when she got pulled in and obviously having seen the two Ivies on the cover, right? Yeah, I had a, my immediate thought was, oh, my gosh, they're going to turn her into an Ivy yeah. a character of the green. I'm still not completely out of the thought of that possible idea. Like maybe she is like the third part of a triumvirate that reunites and creates a mm-hmm. Ivy, um, which I think could be super interesting. Um, the The place I go to. And I feel like this is both a weird comparison and maybe an incredibly accurate one. Mm-hmm. It reminds me in a way of the dreaming. It, uh, it's yeah. like a human being pulled into the dreaming. Yeah, that's fair. Very, very fair. Like you're just, it's just so alien and foreign that like you just don't belong here. Yeah. 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 Um, I am super, super curious about how this Alec Collin thing is going to turn out though. Yeah, there's there's kind of a red flag in it to me where we have seen we have seen what is Levi's friend's name? Jennifer. Jennifer. We have seen Jennifer lost and Jason Woodrow finds Jennifer and tells tells her to come with him and she does. And then when we see Alec, Alec tells Levy that Jennifer is safe. Does that mean this Alec trusts Woodrow? Does it mean this Alec is some sort of construct that Woodrow is manipulating? Like I read it, and I could be wrong, I you know, whatever. I read it as he trusts that Woodrow will keep her safe because Woodrow thinks he can use her. And that may be it too. Yeah. But it, it immediately like casts some doubt sure. to me on on is this really the consciousness of Alec Holland? Well, and it, I mean, even if it is the consciousness of Alec Holland, I've got a lot of doubts about what his motives are. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Alec Holland hasn't always made the best choices when it came to the. Green. That's <laughs> that is true. But yes. you know, it's not easy being. It's green. not easy. You are correct. Just ask any frog. Right. Yep. Hi ho. Uh, uh, I'm loving this book though. It's so good. It's so good. Everybody needs to read it so we get season two. Please. The Good Asian Number One. This is written by Pornsick Pitchett Show. Art is by Alexander Tefenki. Colors are by Lee Loffridge. And letters and design are by Nate Powell. This is uh, a creator-owned book from Image set in the 1930s about a uh, Chinese-born cop detective, private investigator, like 
his sort of status quo in San Francisco is a little nebulous by design. Um, this was a point in time when the only place in the United States where an Asian person could become a police officer was Hawaii. And that is where he became a cop. And for some reason, and we, we learn what that reason is, uh, he has come to San Francisco for an investigation. He's working with an officer from the San Francisco Police Department, uh, but also like doesn't really seem to have any jurisdiction of his own. We see him positioned as, as sort of hesitantly compassionate. Uh, this was also during the the... Uh, Chinese Exclusion Act in the United States, which limited immigration from China and then eventually was expanded to other Asian and Middle Eastern countries. Uh, essentially, at first completely barring entry and then making who could come to the U.S. incredibly restrictive out of various xenophobic reasons. Um, we see him play to like sort of the noir detective heart of gold but like resists that that type um we immediately see him in this in this investigation alongside this white officer uh who is intimidating another uh, a a family of asian descent and like we see him doing the calculus on if i let this go and don't step in in some way Someone will probably end up dead. These these people's lives will be ruined. But I can't just say stop. I have to, like, give this cop something. I have to sacrifice. And he ends up, like, calling out the fact that the, the, the father, grandfather, the patriarch character has been using drugs. Like, he throws him under the bus to save the rest of this family. So he's he's kind of having to make these these sacrifices these sort of moral sacrifices to survive and to protect the others around him knowing the system is out for blood uh there's there's a couple of pages a uh, long letter in the back talking about the influences of characters like charlie chan and the fact that the popularity of charlie chan was kind of from this cultural standpoint inconceivable in its historical moment because it was literally impossible for Charlie Chan to exist in America. And yet he was one of the most popular characters in American media at the time. Um, so it's very much an exploration of, of pulp noir detective tropes and recontextualizing those, those very exploitative versions of those sorts of characters from the time sure. with, the sort of then and now xenophobia and racism against Chinese people and people of Asian and Pacific Islander origin in general. Um, one thing I should note, and I didn't catch this name for the, I didn't list this name in our credits, but I want to shout out, they are even working with a historical consultant to make sure that all of the, the politics and law and, and, any conversation about that from the period are portrayed accurately. That person's name is Grant Din. Um, not something you see in comics a lot, but I think it's really cool that they are working from that angle. And the back matter going forward will be a lot of additional context to those sorts of things. 
Um, it's a really, really good book. If you enjoy detective stories, noirs, I strongly recommend it. Um, there's also kind of a, a sort of family obligation vibe here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in a very, in a very messy way, like it's, it's, it's like everything about this is, is gray. There is no black and white here. Right. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's kind of two different parts to this, right? There's the whole, obviously, the setting, the whole pulp, noir, all of that, right? And then there is this kind of historical, I don't want to call it commentary, but like this historical uh, acknowledgement of what things were. Well, I I think that's accurate. I want to draw a distinction between how I think a lot of books contemporarily that are tackling these issues right uh, now handle it. Yeah. Uh, and the, what this book does. This book very much is saying this is set in the, the 1930s. This is about the 1930s. We're talking about and acknowledging the politics of the 1930s. And letting that conversation, simply by virtue of reading it as a person living in 2021, letting that conversation and the fact that this is set 80 years ago, but also these things are happening now. Just that juxtaposition of reading it in the present time, that's all the commentary on the present it offers. There's no active talking about, okay, this thing, nod and wink, you know what it's like now. Right. There's none of that sort of like layering of contemporary uh, of contemporary politics or contemporary current events on it. So it's entirely set in this past and just it being so specifically about this is enough right now. So just from that standpoint, how does this compare with like Superman smashes the clan? I think the distinction I would draw is that Superman smashes the clan is taking a story from that time, adapting it in a way that feels feels more contemporary but without actually adding any any contemporary trappings. Mm -hmm. The dialogue's a little more updated, the art is certainly more contemporary art. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily talk about anything in a modern way. Okay. It, 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 I think that's the common ground here, is both of these are talking about a point in time. I think Superman smashes the clan by virtue of being all ages. This is certainly not an all ages. Sure, book. sure. Um, probably talks about things in a little more black and white terms than this does. Uh, but your difference there is Superman smashes the clan is is about Superman, who is a white character. That version of Superman, at least, is a white character. This is about a man of Asian descent who is navigating this world of having privilege that most people of his background at this time did not have, mm -hmm. but also still not having anywhere near the privilege anybody else in his position as a police officer has again like the fact that on the mainland he still cannot fully do his job autonomously he is tolerated right. not given right. power exactly i know what you're saying um and even then only tenuously like to me the biggest difference is in that it's more superman smashes the clan i think frames the conversation about racism on a broader more black and white this is bad don't do this come on guys kind of place I i'm simplifying a little there, i get you but that's sure it's more it's more the moral the moral of the story is x got it it's it's more cut and dry 
this is not narratively messy, but this is emotionally messy. This is complicated. There is no, there is no easy right answer. Yes, for I this main character. Yep. Um, it's about how you navigate, and that 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 difficulty, that stress, that that trauma. Because at the end of the day, like it is a function of trauma, of racism based trauma. Um, that becomes what in an older noir, a noir of the of its period, would have instead been in a white character. I've I got kicked off the force for something. I drink hard. I don't play by the like. Right, right. Instead of the trope, the actual like character development, the 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 navigating racism and privilege and being kind of an other in your own community and an other in the white community that you're professionally a part of on paper mm-hmm. like that not belonging takes the place of just you know i accidentally made out with the chief's wife and now i'm not a welcome on the force or whatever right 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 yeah obviously it's a it's a much different much more interesting and complex yeah issue right yeah it's a more personal core. And that that's where the contemporariness of this comes from. It's more rooted in character development than type and trope and what you think of when you think of this kind of pulp story. Nice. Yeah. Uh, really good. Strongly recommended. I haven't talked at all really about the art in here. Um, it definitely feels very, very much like a pulp film. Very much like a detective noir film. Lots of inky blacks and uh, uh, kind of a more limited color palette, at least page to page. Uh, flipping through the issue, you see sort of a whole spectrum of color. But any given page stays more muted and kind of the same family of colors unless they really want to draw your attention somewhere. Uh, not just black and white, but very much still like tonal within a page monochromatic for the most part. Uh, it's It's so good. Cannot recommend it enough. Very good. Moving over to Marvel and Heroes Reborn number one. Written by Jason Aaron, with pencils by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by Corey Pettit. So, just a quick editorial note. We are probably going to take a little lighter touch talking about Heroes Reborn issue to issue than we might normally. Because we have something special planned for when we wrap up the series, which will be at the end of June. Uh, I'm not going to announce what that is yet. Uh, we're going to have, uh, hopefully though, a little bit more of just like a, a series recap post-mortem when we get to the end of this than we've we've done for other events in the past. Yeah, almost like a roundtable discussion wrap-up. Yeah. 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 Um, we're still going to touch on each of these just to, to keep... Uh, uh, everyone kind of in the loop if that's what you're looking for, but we're not gonna probably not gonna dive too too deep until we can look at it as a whole at the end. Brian, what did you think about this? Um, I, I thought it was. I thought there were a couple of things that were very clever about it. One is, I mean, we we kind of knew the setup, right? That the Avengers mm-hmm. are not here anymore. Uh, essentially, most of the heroes that we know are not here anymore. Um, and the Squadron Supreme has taken their place. Yes. Um, and by Squadron Supreme, of course, I mean Marvel Justice League, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> um, Coulson apparently is president. That I did not expect, Me but either. I love. Neither did I. Um, and then 
I thought this was super clever. So the amalgamation that they did, because, you know, Marvel has to do some sort of uh, combining of characters, was right on the villain side. <laughs> yeah. So, for instance, Doom, who um, the Squadron Supreme forced free elections in Latveria, so the people voted him out, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> like, holy shit, somehow I love that. Um, yeah. So he goes and captures the uh, the what is it, the crystal of Sidorak, right? Yeah, we say forced free elections. I I do get a little bit the vibe that it's like when the U.S. Oh. forces free election in South American sure. countries. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, uh, so, but he becomes Doctor Juggernaut. Yeah, which I don't know why. When you put the Doctor in front of Juggernaut, I also have a lot of trouble not going to Juggerduck. <laughs> okay. Sure. Just uh, slipping the existence of Juggerduck back into the conversation. Sure. So, uh, so he's fighting Hyperion. Uh, great. Uh, we, at the at the Capitol building, we get um, very invincible. By the way, oh, like yeah, very much so. <laughs> uh, yeah, at the Capitol building, we get Nighthawk, i.e., Batman. Um, yep. Fighting Black Skull, which is clearly Red Skull possessed by a Venom symbiote. Yep which terrifies me in I don't know how many ways. Oh, yeah. No, that's just a bad day. <sighs> um, we get Dr. Spectrum, a.k.a. Green Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, going up. I love how he fought. So I, I will also mention we get a super, super quick touch tone on a lot of our favorite like traditional heroes, like Tony Stark, who is going to the White House to present a defense contract something, right? But he's yep. just Tony Stark. We see Carol Danvers flying in an airplane, and we're told that you know she constantly gets busted in rank because of her insubordination. Right. So like we see our heroes are, um, you know, just living their lives without their super. You know what would happen without their superpowers? Yeah. Not living their best lives. Yeah. Um, Pietro has died, and Scarlet Witch was able to absorb his powers, so now she is the Silver Witch the super speed sorcerer <laughs> like damn uh and um gog has killed all of the asgardians and is now the uh, he's taken the power of the all father and is now the unstoppable all gog who fights uh uh um you know wonder woman i'm sorry power princess yeah yeah oh and i guess our final one i should point out is uh thanatos with the infinity rings which are of course you know all of the spectrum rings of the Green Lantern Corps, sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, in the backdrop of this, Blade is the only character who realizes what has happened. I feel like Blade is an incredibly left-field character to have be the one who remembers, and I cannot tell you how much I love it. I was going to say, but I love it because if you think about it, like the whole thing about blade is he's always kind of in the shadows anyway like that's just who his character is which is perfect for this right yeah um he's always one foot in another world there you go um and and then so he has decided that the way to solve this problem is the reason that none of this happened is because they didn't rescue cap from the ice so he goes to do that and that's where we end it I, uh, I love this. I I, I like yeah. it. It, it. This sounds like a very fun event. 
uh, that they're going to get through quickly. And it's, uh, it's a fun premise. Like, I, I think if it went too long, I would get very, if they, they did want to like their whole summer thing of this, I, it would, it would drive me crazy that it was going on so long, but I think, uh, uh, the way they're presenting this, uh, I think it's going to be a cool story that we're going to enjoy and get through. Yeah, I yeah. think an issue a week with one or two tie-ins yep. alongside it, perfect. Exactly. Tie- not tie-ins, one-shots. One-shots, yep. All right. Meanwhile on Krakoa, Hellions number 11, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Steven Sekovia, colors by David Coriel, letters by Ariana Mar, and designed by Tom Muller. Uh, Hulk, this book gets dark sometimes, huh? How the hell is Sinister not in the hole, much less still on the Quiet Council? You know, you know at some point, Quanon is going to absolutely eviscerate I, God, I hope so. Oh my word, like, just the worst. He may have really cool capes, but he is still a fucking monster. You got that right. Um, like, I don't feel as, like, I, I, I like, I, I'm okay with Mastermind in this more than him, and and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least Mastermind had clear, specific reasons, like he was trying to protect his daughter, but. Right. Yeah, then you find out that maybe they arranged that whole thing that his daughter got kidnapped on purpose, which then, holy shit, you're an awful person, but yeah. Yeah. I'll say what though, I still have no sympathy for Arcade and all this. Arcade kind of gets what oh, he deserves. 100%, yes. This issue introduces the idea that the Hellions are actually kind of starting to like working with each other and develop loyalty to one another in earnest ways. Yes. And that's also kind of terrifying, but I love it. Yeah, um, I, I I do too. And yeah, I like I don't know what to say other than this book is just raw emotion. I would I would like to ask a question, to pose a question. Sure. Is Alex Summers a himbo? <laughs> he gives off some serious himbo vibes in this issue. Admittedly, he's had his brain messed with by Mastermind a lot. A here, lot, and, yeah. Uh, in this series has undergone a lot of trauma, so um, maybe it's not fair to ask this question, but also I am given to understand from TikTok that himbos are the best. TikTok seems to be very fond of himbos. Okay. Uh, Earnest, loyal, kind of dumb. That seems to be Alex Summers. I mean, did you see how he was reacting to and dealing with uh, uh, Madeline Pryor? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah. But I, I can't say you're wrong. Okay. Once and always the better Summers, brother. Well, that's for sure. Uh, and <laughs> traditionally, let's be fair, that hasn't been a high bar to, to reach, but... No, no. I mean, and that's not even counting the one, like, super villain evil Summers brother who everyone forgets about. Right. Do we want to move to Marauders? Yes, let's do that. Marauders, number 20, written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Edgar Delgado and Chris Sotomayor, Letters by Corey Pettit and designed by Tom Muller. How many knives does Storm own? Uh, enough. <laughs> I mean, that was that, like, like I, I, all I kept thinking of during that whole time was they keep asking, "Oh, how many? How many knives? How many knives?" And I was like, "Well, clearly enough. That's the only thing that matters." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? <laughs> So on the, the world eve, may never yeah. know. On the eve of the gala, right? Uh, the Marauders have uh, have come together on the ship to recount their stories of uh, of Storm because she is leaving the Marauders clearly to join the X Men, right? Yes. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, they each tell their their stories of her. And I thought that was I thought that was a, a nice, lovely little kind of almost like a tribute type book, right? Yeah. yeah. I do have a little asterisk though, because I think there's more than just because she is leaving to join the X Men. But we will get there in a moment. Okay. Um, I love the stories that they tell in this issue. I do too. These are all fantastic. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the Batman How I Almost Got Him episode. <laughs> but it's just all these stories about like the the badass that is Storm. Yep. Right. Uh, I, I gotta say, I think my favorite was Bishop, though. When he was like, yes. yeah, I love the time that you helped me uh, solve that. You threatened these people and uh, and they, they did what we needed because you threatened them. She was like, I don't remember that. Wait, I was never there. He was like, oh, I know, but you did anyway because I told them that you were up above and threatened that you were going to strike them with lightning if they didn't do it. And so they did. <laughs> yeah, because there was a storm and there was thunder and that spooked them. <laughs> oh, fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that one was probably my favorite, too. Although I did like the the uh, the story Kate told, where Storm like popped her nose back into place after it was broken. Yes. Well, it, it, here's the thing, and it's after she was it, it's after she was crying because of how she felt, and like it was the most the most juxtaposition of like old old Chris Claremont Kate Kitty, right? Of uh-huh. the emotional, you know, oh, she's crying and you got to help her, blah, blah, blah. And, like, the new Kate, where it was like, yeah, my nose is broken, just pop it back into place. Right? Yeah. Like, badass. Like, what a juxtaposition of those two. That was brilliant. I loved it. So, I want to make my cold shot for this episode. Okay. I imagine you caught where, at one point, Emma referred to her ship as... A spaceship. She did. And kept asking, can we not just float over the waves? Right. I think it's not just that Storm is going to the X-Men. I think the Marauders are going to become space pirates. (laughs) I think it is a literal spaceship. I think they are going to outer space. And if just the fact that they call it a spaceship is not enough to prove this, Brian, what is the first data page? Uh, let me refresh my memory. Hold on. It is a note from Emma to Kate with a brooch. A brooch? A brooch? Sure. With a pin to wear to the Hellfire Mm Gulf. That is an X with a bullet on it. And this note about how, you know, you would never claim this, blah, 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 blah. But simply wearing this will remind the entire Earth the debt they owe you. For the time Kate climbed in a giant space bullet and phased it through the planet. Right. It is a nod to Kate doing X-Men things in space. It is. The Marauders are going to become space pirates. I'm calling it here and now. Uh, I, first of all, I love that. Uh, you know, like like the X- X-Men star jammers, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, second thing is I, I think it's only natural at some point we have to move in that direction because at some point we know that the 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 safety location for uh for for mutants is the Shire homeworld. Right. right. Or the or yeah. Because some of some of them There's, are acting uh, as yeah. bodyguards for the right, for the uh, the Imperial Guard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, there is a planet where, like, 
10,000 mutants are you know, on the edge of Shire space. So at some yeah. point, my, my point, at some point we have to start getting involved with space stuff. Well, and we know that there's a big announcement that's supposed to happen at the Hellfire Gala. Right. We know there's a one-shot coming called Planet-Sized X-Men. Yeah. And, like, we already have swords, so, you know, it's not a stretch to get to any of those points. But if you've got the actual diplomatic core of Krakoa in space, in the same way that there is a diplomatic mechanism for Krakoa on Earth... Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't the Hellfire Company also expand in the same way to handle where diplomacy doesn't work in space? Uh, and and could they be extending their power with their, you know, botanicals and drugs to other planets? Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly you can grow a gate on the moon, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm here for space pirates. Me too. Now. Me too. <laughs> All right, is it still good? The Wrong Earth, Night and Day, number four. Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man come to blows as they meet as they meet the protector of Earth Zeta. Crime Syndicate, number three, Brian. Um, yeah, we get, I don't know what to say other than we get more Crime Syndicate doing their stuff and they kind of, uh, resolve how they're going to take out Starro. The next Batman, Second Son. We have a weird twofer here. Uh, first off, the second print issue, which collects digital chapters four through six. Uh, this is Batwing, Luke, taking the fight to the Ratcatcher. We also had the tenth digital chapter come out, uh, and we see Lucius Fox receive a business proposition from Mayor Nakano and Simon Saint. Noctera number three, Brian. Um, beware pretty neon cowgirls. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Daddy. Hello, Mom. <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man number 65. Sometimes the Capulets and Montagues can get along, at least if they've got to fight Madame Mask. America Chavez, Made in the USA number three. Uh, America may be learning her own secret history, if her sister is to be believed. Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, number three. Uh, there were three stories here. All of these were great. Uh, we had No Survivors from Dan Slott and Greg Smallwood, which is about, uh, Carnage terrifying the one survivor in attack into basically committing suicide. Uh, Sea of Blood which reimagines Carnage and Venom as rival sea captains, a pirate and an English admiral. Amazing. Uh, that was written by Carla Pacheco with art by Chris Mooneyham and colors by Mattia Iacono. Love the art in that one. And the third one, which was absolutely hilarious, is called The Convention. Uh, written by Alyssa Wong, Pencils by Gerardo Sandoval and inks by Victor Nava, with colors by Eric Arseniega. This is about cosplayers at a convention making sacrifices to their god Carnage. All of these were lettered by Josephina. The Immortal Hulk, number 46. The Hulk fights back against the UFOs, who have a very bad day. Strange Academy, number 10. We take a field trip to Asgard 
And, uh, well, I guess the Enchantress has more kids than just the one who we've met in Captain Marvel. Boy. And finally, the Union number five. Uh, you cannot kill Britannia, apparently, but you can teach an old evil dog new heroic tricks. Sort of. This week's books! Woohoo! Uh, all right. Buckle up, everybody. Yeah, this one's a long uh, list of creators for this first one. This first one's a little chunky. We have the DC Festival of Heroes, the Asian Superhero Celebration. Uh, This is one of the most amazing sets of creative teams we've seen on one of these books. Buckle up. This is written by Mariko Tamaki, Min Lee, Greg Pak, Aziz Ansari, Ram V, Dustin Wynn, Alyssa Wong, Sarah Kuhn, Amy Chu, Pornsek Pichichot, and Jean Lunyang. With art by... Marcus To, Trung Lee Wynn, Sumit Kumar, Sami Basri, Audrey Mock, Dustin Wynn, Sean Chin, and Norman Ratman, Victoria Ying, Marcio Takara, Alexander Tefinki, and Bernard Chang. Colors are by Sebastian Chang, Trung Lee Wynn, Romulo Fayardo Jr., Sunny Go, Jordi Belair, Dustin Wynn, Rain Barreto, and Victoria Ying. Letters are by Janice Ching, Aditya Bidikar, Steve Wands, Gabriella Towney, Tom Napolitano, and Ariana Mar. And the issue features pinups by Cliff Chang, Jaylee and Jun Chang, Philip Tan and Sebastian Ching, Gori Hiru, Francis Manipal, Kevin Wada and Jin Bartel, and Jim Chang and Romulo Fayardo Jr. Uh, ooh, this looks to be fantastic. Uh, I know they're introducing a couple of new characters here. All of these collected anthologies have been a lot of fun lately. Super excited for this one. Future State Gotham. Uh, this is written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, with art by Giannis Milanogiannis. This is a black-and-white book set in the future state timeline following Red Hood. Uh, I don't have the letterer for this one. Uh, I couldn't find that name. But super excited for this. I really dug the Red Hood story in Future State, and I cannot wait to see more. Also, I want to know if Brian was right about I Vampire hanging out in this book. <laughs> Brian! Yes, sir. Tell me about Justice League Last Ride, which is written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Miguel Mendonca, colors by Enrica Angolini, and letters by Adworld Design. Yeah, this is kind of a, one of those, like, last story kind of things where um, some tragedy has happened that has split Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. They go their separate ways. The league is broken. And there is what is termed as the universe's greatest murder trial going on. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's a can the league get back together and they can they reconcile their differences before they get killed by the greatest villains in the cosmos? Yeah, this uh, very much is just a uh, fun, fun, crazy, almost, you know, a what if kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we said Chip Stars. Right, yeah, sure. We have another pair of Heroes Reborn issues, our first two one-shot. Hyperion and the Imperial Guard, from Ryan Cady, Michelle Bandini and Stephen Byrne, Elisabetta D'Amico and Stephen Byrne, Eric Arseniega and Corey Pettit, and Heroes Reborn, Peter Parker, the Amazing Shutterbug, by Mark Bernadine, Raphael De La Torre, Ron Lim, Scott Hanna, Jim Campbell, and Ariana Mar. Okay, I, I do uh, have one question before we get started on these. How yeah. the hell, with a name like Heroes Reborn, Peter Parker, The Amazing Shutterbug, is this not Colin Bunn? Because that title is like 
<laughs> uh, yeah, these these are both, I think, exactly what they say on the tin, right? We get a Hyperion book and we get one about Peter Parker being Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, sure. Yep, perfect. X-Corp begins. Yeah, this is written by Teeny Howard with art by Alberto Foce and colors to Sonny Go. Uh, this is a, uh, a new X-book where... Um, Monet St. Croix and Warren, Warren Worthington set up at a new corporation called X Corporation, uh, and it is 100% big business. It almost strikes me, and this leads me to, to think your call about the Marauders may be true as well, right? Uh, because we have the Hellfire Club, and it seems like at the Hellfire Gala, like the Hellfire Club got things started. And maybe it's still going to be maybe distribution, but like now they're going to the next level and starting an actual real corporation kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is going to be uh, crazy. I'm sure. Let's do it. Like, yeah. who would you want to run a company better than probably these two who have both been CEOs of large corporations? Right. Yeah. I also need to acknowledge that the A covers on this book yeah. are by David Aha. Yes. And by the way, I should point out, they are not CEOs. They are CXOs. Yes. yes. <laughs> and finally, The House of Lost Horizons, a Sarah Jewell mystery. Yeah, this is, uh, this is really cool. This is by uh, Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson. Uh, the art is uh, Layla DeLuca. The uh, colors are by Michelle Madsen, and the letters are by Clem Robbins. Um, this is, uh, th there's been a couple of these, uh, Sarah Jewell mystery books before. Um, I have, uh, kind of, I didn't actually get to read one of them, but I kind of, uh, uh, previewed a little bit one of them. Uh, and this is, uh, it's a locked room mystery, uh, uh, series cool. where, you know, something happens, think, um, you know, think murder, she wrote or an Agatha Christie kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Very much in that in that vein. And uh yeah, sounds sounds pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. That is gonna do it for us this week. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P, capital M, or send us your questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read comics. POV. Certain POV.com.